Good evening, good evening. Blessings, grace, and peace on this wonderful Wednesday evening. Uh, thank God for Bible study. In this area, we are expecting some inclement weather to come through here uh, shortly. So I'm so grateful for the uh, advent of online, which doesn't uh, stop the show. The weather can't stop the show. We can still move forward. And I'm so grateful for us to do that. Let us uh, bow our heads and then we will go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, praise you, love you, appreciate you, honor you, God. Thank you for another opportunity to uh, spend time in your word and sharing the revelation, God, that you have given me. God, I'm praying that revelation knowledge will flow freely, unhindered, unchecked, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces. Praying that you would think through my mind, speak through my mouth, God, that you would illuminate the ears of the hearers and the spirit of the listeners, and that we would be eternally touched and blessed. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. So, uh, first of all, before we move on, I just want to say thank you for those who prayed for me. I uh, had last week, I had COVID, and uh, it took me a while to, to get through it. But I feel so much better. My energy is returning, and, and uh, I thank God for all the prayers. And so uh, we, we had to miss Bible study, uh, I think, a couple weeks because of the sickness. So I'm glad for us just to get a chance to be back. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to cover last week's sermon like we normally do. But the difference is this time I didn't preach uh, last Sunday. It was what we call Elect Lady Sunday. And so we had for several years, actually ever since I uh, took over the ministry, we had instituted what we call Apostle Sundays, where my father preached every first Sunday of the month. Uh, even though I was taking over the ministry, I thought it was good to have our overseer's voice yet in the house. And so we always enjoyed Apostle Sundays, and it was it was a blessing. So after his passing, moving forward, there was a couple things we thinking how should we uh, change and shift and then we just begin to think about his wife and she felt like he would want her to carry on and so we're going to begin to do that we're adjusting it just a little she's going to preach every fifth Sunday of the year and so on January uh, 30 uh, I believe it was January 30th was the fifth Sunday in January and so it was elect lady Sunday so we're going to go over the things that she shared and the revelation God gave me as she was uh, ministering. So let's start and let's look at her title. Her title was, I am here by God's design. I am here by God's design. I'll say it one more time for emphasis. I am here by God's design. That. That struck me uh, when I when I first heard her, her title or seen the title and not even knowing where she was going. It, it just struck me as as important because sometimes we forget the overall plan of God as it relates to us. As we go through life and we deal with life, <clears throat> many times life comes at us fast and it feels like we are being driven by life instead of something else guiding us. But this is reminding us that we are actually here by God's design, that there is a big picture as it relates to us. And of course, 
we understand there's a big picture as it relates to the entire universe, every human, the whole thing. That's what the gospel covers. But sometimes we forget that there is a personal plan for each and every one of us. And as she began to share, it began to wake up my consciousness to the fact that there is a great design for each and every one of us. And so making it personal, I am here by God's design. But I like what she did next. She uh, defined design for us, but the uh, definitions that use, it set us up for actually where she was going. So let's look at the definitions that she has. Design to create, fashion, execute, or construct according to a plan. I want to pause for a second because when I first seen I'm here by God's design, I was just thinking about creation, the fact that we are created. But the fact that she used the word design and used this definition shows us that it's more than just God creating us and fashioning us and designing us and breathing breath in our body. But there is actually a plan coded into the DNA, the spiritual DNA of every one of us. We're not just created to be created. We are also created to follow a a plan. We're created to be on a path. So looking at the definition again, to create fashion or execute or construct something according to plan, to plan or fashion artistically and skillfully, to intend for a definite purpose. That's key. That there is not just a plan, but there's a purpose for each and every individual that God creates. For uh, several years ago, this book really began to catch fire, and it was by Rick Warren. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. And it began to teach people how to live on purpose, but by God's purpose. It, it taught people to tap in to the personal plan that God has for you and to look at the overall purpose, why you were created, what you were designed to do, and then begin to move your life in that direction. That really wakes us up to the possibility because it stops us from just living a willy-nilly life, and it stops us from trying to fit into someone else's lane and someone else's idea. But it begins to teach us to focus on what am I purposed to do? What are my giftings? What, what is the plan that God has for me? How, how has my childhood actually set me up for what God wants to do in my life? Even the negative, the positive and the negative, sometimes we realize that it all will work for a purpose. We are called according to a purpose. And when we begin to understand that, that's when we really begin to to live. Uh, Someone said this quote, and I can't remember exactly who said it, but it said, uh, or goes uh, very similar to this, that the two most important things in a human's life is number one, the day they were born, and number two, the day they find out why. So you can be born in 1975, but not realize and discover your purpose till 1995. 
20 years could pass before you really realize what you were placed on this earth to do. And so uh, Elect Lady Mitchell was reminding us that we are here by design. So let's get into some of the scriptures that she used. She starts us off with Psalms 139, 14 through 15, a very familiar passage of scripture. She came out of the New International Version. So all of these come from the NIV. And it says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This actually happened to be our, one of our apostles of favorite scriptures, uh, reminding us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It deals with the scientific genius that we are as human beings. There's no computer on the earth that's quite greater than the human brain and what the human brain does, even the way our bodies heal, heal itself. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the point of the psalmist was that I begin to understand that I begin to line up to the fact that no matter what life is doing to me, I am too fearfully and wonderfully made to live beneath my privilege or to go through life and never find my purpose. Because when I look scientifically at how I'm made, I realize that every human being is made so intricately special that when we allow life to devalue us and life circumstances to devalue us, we do a disservice to our creator. I always like to use, since I work in the car industry and have worked for General Motors for several years, I always like to use the idea of the manufacturer. So if I get a brand new car off the lot and then I take the new key and I just start carving into the car, people will be like, what is wrong with you? You are crazy. You are not using the car in the way the manufacturer designed it to be used. Not only that, but you are causing the car to be devalued. Now, the moment you take a car off the lot, it starts depreciating some. But there's things that you can do to speed up that depreciation. And if I on the lot begin to carve into the car, that would be horrible. If I never wash it, never clean it, never change the oil. What people would say is you're a person that does not deserve a vehicle, especially a brand new one. Well, when we flip that and we think about the manufacturer that is God that has designed us so intricately, we have to learn how to not depreciate ourselves. Now, of course, life is going to do enough depreciation as uh, on its own, as is. So just like a car being driven off a lot, there are certain things you can't stop. There is going to be some depreciation. We live in a fallen world. Life is going to happen to us. People are going to make choices that affect us, that hurt us. That automatically is going to limit value to some degree. But here's the thing. The things that you are in control of. Say, I can't control what other people do to me. I can't control what other people think about me. I can't control other people's opinions of me. And those things have a way of devaluing. I can't control the things that are happened to me. I can't control who I'm born to. Can't control the color of my skin. 
But there are a lot of things that are under my control that I can control. And this teaching is designed to teach us that the things that are in your control, you need to make sure you are living life to its highest value as your purpose and your design and the creator designed you to be. You have to do your part. Yes, if you were molested when you were young, that's not your fault. Someone did that to you that was forced upon you. But you have to learn how to pick up the pieces and make something out of living life beyond the molestation, beyond the rape, beyond the divorce, beyond the health challenges, beyond the racism. So, yes, there's some things you can't control, but there's several things that you can control. And the first thing you need to do is find out my purpose. And you begin to realize that life cannot alter your purpose. It can alter a lot of things, but your purpose cannot be altered because you were fearfully and you were wonderfully made. And the more you know that very well, the more your soul is awakened to that, the more you begin to live your life on purpose, for purpose, and live your life for the manufacturer, which is God. Let's go back to scripture. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Whenever my father would teach the scripture, he would talk about the, the practicalness of that verse. I mean, the, the, the rawness of that verse. We all know that when we got here, we come here through a sexual act. And so what the scripture is saying, even when our parents were in the act that caused sperm to be released and the sperm to reach the egg, we weren't hidden from that. God knew. So some people say, well, if a person was raped, maybe we should abort the child. But God saw the rape. And still decided, I can design something through that sperm and through that egg and through that embryo. I can design something special and awesome. So, yes, it may have come through a bad circumstance, but I can overcome that. So one thing we have to understand and and we really have to get better as, as a church, or when I say church, I mean the kingdom of God, not just deliverance temple, but the kingdom of God. When people have children out of wedlock or, or things happen, we have to be careful not to beat people up so much for the mistake. Because if God allows life to come forth, God has purpose for that life. So we have to speak into that life. We cannot uh, dog people out because they didn't have a uh, two-parent household. They, 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 they didn't have a mother and a father. God doesn't care about that. God knows how to move beyond that and make something out of nothing because in his mind, his purpose outlasts the problem. His purpose outlasts a fallen earth. His purpose outlasts sin and mistakes. His purpose is beyond that. So what we have to do is give people a leg up to find their purpose. Because when they find their purpose, many times addictions cannot erase their purpose. When they find their purpose, 
uh, people talking down to them, negative to them, will not erase their purpose. So we have to think in line with God that we are here by God's design. I don't care how we got here. I don't care the fact that most of us who are African-American got here through slave ships. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like what was done. But since I'm here, I'm going to make the most of it because God has a purpose for my life and I'm here on purpose. Another way you can say it is I'm here on assignment. I'm here on assignment. When, when God breathed breath in my life, when he allowed me to come through the birthing canal, there were millions of sperm that tried to reach the egg, but the one that coded my DNA was the one that reached the egg. And there are uh, thousands of babies who die in the womb. There are thousands that are aborted, but somehow I came through the birthing canal and I'm here. And since I'm here, I'm going to live on purpose. I don't care what happened before. I don't care what mom and daddy did. I don't care the fact that I may grew up poor or may grew up without this and without that. I'm here now. I realize that I'm here and I'm going to live on purpose. So let's move on. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be home, holy and blameless in his sight. And then it adds this in love. So what that scripture is basically saying is that love, God's love, trumps everything. So he chose us. The King James, I believe it says, before the foundation of the world. So we when we open up the Bible in Genesis 1, we see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We don't see him creating man until later in the verse, excuse me, later in the chapter. But what this says is before he actually created the earth and laid the foundations of the earth, he had us in mind. And so we are more important than what life seems to suggest to us. We have to understand that God had us in what we call eternity past. We knew God before we ever got here because we come through the earth and because we come through a fallen world, we have forgotten the relationship we had with God before we got here. And so this life that we live is a reconnecting us back to our creator to find out why did he even send us here? Why did we come and what is our purpose? Because the ultimate goal is to return back to God and live with him in eternity. So I'm going to make the most of my life here. And this scripture says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When I first heard that scripture or read that scripture, I missed the last two words of that scripture. I, I got stuck in holy and blameless, and I got to thinking, well, shoot, I'm not blameless. I've made a ton of mistakes, and there's times I'm not holy at all. So I wonder if I've messed up God's plan. But the last two words save everything. It says, in love. So he loved us so much that he says, I am going to make you holy, even though you don't have the power and the ability to stay holy. I'm going to make you blameless, even though you don't have the power 
and the ability to stay blameless. And what I'm going to do is when you fall out of relationship with me, in my love, I'm going to restore it all. Well, how did he did it? He sent his son to die and pay the penalty for our sin, pay the penalty for our unholiness, pay the penalty for uh, us being full of blame and shame. And th this is, it's, it's, it's powerful because not only is God saying, I love you enough to build my love in to make sure you're going to be okay, but he's also being honest and saying, yeah, you got here and you got to a fallen world. You got to a place where sin was already here. David said, I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. Even though I was created by God's design because of Adam and Eve's sin, when I got here, I'm full of all kinds of junk. As a human, I, I have a lot of issues. One of my friends says it this way. This, this way I got issues in my tissues. I, I, I got some stuff. And God says, I understand that some of the stuff that you have is not even your fault. It came through generations. It came all the way from Adam and Eve, all the way through your family. You have some proclivities. You've got some weaknesses that's not even about you, but it affects you. And God says, don't worry, my love is going to cover it all. I, I, I've built into the system a love that will fix it all. All you have to do is remain in my love. And when we understand that and we learn that, we understand that God's purpose with his love for us trumps everything. And if we can get into that and locked into that, then we will realize, like elect lady said, I am here by design. So my mistakes can't stop me. My issues can't stop me. What about, let, let, let's get a little deeper than that. What about things that aren't mistakes? It ain't a mistake. You just did it. You did it because you wanted to do it. You was, excuse the terminology, you was just being trifling. And you start doing stuff that you didn't have no business doing. Now you caught up in stuff. You addicted to stuff. You stuck in stuff that you can't get out of. But let's be honest, it was your fault. We can't even blame Adam and Eve. You did this. You chose this. And God says, that's why my love covers a multitude of faults and sins. God says, I, I got you. I got you covered. I got you covered on both ends so you can get back to my design. You can get back to my purpose. You can stop sulking and crying about it. You can get up. You can move on and you can still change the world. You can still make a difference in your family. You can still make a difference in you. Maybe you're not going to make a difference in the world and in the family, in the neighborhood. Maybe the only difference you're going to make is the person you look in the mirror. Maybe you're going to be like Michael Jackson and say, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. If the only person you affect is you with God's love and God's purpose and God's design, you still have one you still are okay. So living with this mindset is going to free us up from a lot of junk and have us moving according to plan, according to purpose. All right. Now, having said that, let's, let's go deeper in the scripture that uh, elect lady uh, shared with us. She took us to a familiar passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, 
and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. One of the reasons I love this verse is because of the misrepresentation of this verse. Most people read this verse and they take it out of its context. It is a powerful verse and it speaks to our prosperity and it speaks to our hope and it speaks to our future, but it also speaks to our failure. And a lot of people don't see that in this verse. And the reason why, because they don't know the context. The context of the verse is they were, Jeremiah had, the whole book of Jeremiah, he keeps prophesying to Israel that, listen, we are messing up. We're going down the wrong path and God is going to have to punish us. And there was a threat from Babylon. There was a threat that they were going to be captured by Babylon and they were all going to be exiled to Babylon and other prophets were saying, no, God's going to fight for us. He's going to get us out of this situation. Jeremiah was like, no, he's not. We have been messing up. The whole nation has been messing up and we are going to have to go through this. We are going to get exiled. We are going to be punished. They didn't want to listen to Jeremiah and Jeremiah was the only one that was right. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, the majority, we, we, I would say close to about 95 to 98% of all of Israel were captured and became exiles. The ones who were left were left because they were so poor and the land was so poor that even uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians didn't even want them. So it was a really bad situation. But as they got into the exile, Jeremiah spoke this word to him. Let's say it, read again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you. Even though you are in the midst of a punishment and you are in the midst of getting the consequences of your terrible actions, God says, don't worry, because of my love, I still have a plan for you. Well, well, well I, I messed it up. I married the wrong person. I messed it up. I got addicted. And yes, I all these consequences I'm in, I can't blame nobody else but me. I almost deserve what I'm getting. And God says, I understand that, but don't worry. I still got a plan for you. My plan is even greater than my punishment. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In other words, you're not going to die in this. You're not going to die in this punishment. You're not going to die in this consequence because my love for you is so great. Even though I'm allowing you to be punished, I'm going to raise you up beyond this. So let's look at the next verse. That's the real context of, of the verse. Let's look at verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. The major issue why I have to allow you to go through what you're going to go through is because you have gotten so far away from me. But I'm going to allow this punishment to come your way, but I'm going to trump the punishment with my plan for you. And when you are awakened to my plan for you, what's going to happen is you're going to call on me and I'm going to answer you. I'm not going to turn my back on you when I could but what I'm going to do, I'm going to rescue you. In other words, 
even when I allow you to be punished, I only do it to bring you to a greater level to me so that you can end up being prospered in the end. Perfect example of that is Job. Job was someone that God called perfect, but God saw fit to allow Satan to test him. You read the book of Job. Job did get in a place where he was in a full-on depression. He got to a place where he was challenging God, said some things about God that was unfair. But, hey, he had went through hell. We understand why Job was saying some of the things he was saying. But God began to chastise Job. But in the chastisement, he brought him up to another level, gave him double for all his trouble. So at the end of the day, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the design of God, even outlasts the pain that he went through, the issues that he went through. Same thing with here in Jeremiah. God is saying, my plan will always outlast the problem. And what it will do, if you allow it, it will bring you to a deeper relationship with me. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is powerful too. Many times when we don't understand the purpose of God for our life and we're not following the plan of God for our life, we, we get into a place where even if we are seeking God, we're not doing it with all our heart. We sometimes as Christians, we get to a place where we're just going through the motions. But when life hits you and life comes at you fast and hard and you're stuck in a pandemic and you're losing loved ones left and right and all these things come coming at you. Sometimes it teaches you, no, I, I, I shouldn't I, I shouldn't be playing with life. I need to be getting down to business. I need to get down to brass tacks. I need to make sure I'm focusing on what is most important. And when you realize God has a plan for your life, what happens is you adjust and you shift and you start going to God with all your heart. And what God says is that's all I wanted from the beginning. Now, I didn't wish for you to have to go through this to get you to this place. But since I got you here, I'm going to show you how when you seek me with all your heart, it benefits you. That's why I always say our first step in our uh, vision is connecting with our creator continually. We never want to be a church that's just going through the motions. We want to have a consistent pattern where we're always connecting to God. Because the more we stay connected to God, the more we will recognize his plan and his purpose for our life. All right, let's take this a little further. This is what she, uh, a question that she asked us and she gave us some answers. What happens when we follow our own plan instead of God's design? What happens when not only do we get out of purpose and out of alignment with God, but we actually start following a total different path that is from what we think is right. So some people, they, they are following God's purpose for their life. There are other people who get detached from God's purpose, but at least they're not doing anything on their own. They're just kind of stuck. And then there's other people, they just have to be doing something. They have to be making decisions. And if God is not answering prayers quick enough, God is not moving quick enough, they take matters into their own hands. Some people, one relationship 
dies, and then they just get stuck in a pattern of just waiting to see what's next. Other people, look, look, I'm going to have a man. I'm going to have a woman. I, if I got to have half a man, half a woman, I'm going to get somebody. I'm not going to be lonely. But then sometimes those people wish they never made those decisions because had they waited and got realigned with God, they would have got back on the path that God wanted them to have to be on that's God is much like our GPS when you get off the path if you wait long enough he will reroute you to get you back on the path but sometimes there's some of us who we think we know more than the GPS so we cancel the route say listen shoot I'm about to I'm gonna figure this out on my own and I gotta be honest I didn't try that sometimes and got lost as lost can be and had to turn back on the GPS and say, figure, figure out where I am and get me back on track. So when she asked this question, she's saying, what happens when we take that last uh, thing and we start doing things on our own and taking our own path? And many of us have all done that at some time. Normally, the younger you are, the more likely you are to do that. When you've gotten older and you're going to run your head into the wall a few times, some of us with age, we get better at age. And then there's others of us who ain't nothing but an old fool. Ain't nothing worse than an old fool. They keep running to the wall and they keep doing the same thing. We don't want to be that way. We want to learn from our mistakes and say, listen, if I don't know what to do, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to try to get realigned with God and let God reroute me. Let him do it his way his plan. Sometimes when things happen to us, we want to just run, but sometimes you make more trouble running. Uh, as a pastor and a leader, my father died. He's not just my bishop and my overseer. He's my daddy. He's my friend, you know. So when all those things begin to transpire, there was a, a I, I guess, a quick season of just thinking, I just want to quit. I just want to quit, walk away from it all. Look, y'all can have the church. Y'all do what y'all want to do. Y'all be good. I, this ain't, I, I don't want to do this. But I had to, I had to just slow down and say, no, I'm not going to make any rash decisions. I, I need to make sure I'm aligned with God. And as I just begin to process, I begin to see God rerouting me and giving me wisdom and how to move the ministry forward, even though we all were grieving and what our next step was going to be. But I just had to slow down and allow God to talk to me. Even though I could have been upset with God, I realized that, God, you're the one that I need. So even though I don't like the outcome, I'm still coming back to you so you can reroute me. That's the mindset that we should have. Because if we have the other mindset, it's going to cause us trouble. I'm going to bring the question up again, and then we'll give you the answer. What happens when we follow our own plan instead of God's design? Number one, it may end in death. It may end in natural death or spiritual death. But uh, something is going to die when you start taking matters into your own hand. So you have to be very careful with that. We, we've shared this story before, but I think it bears repeating of a man who uh, seen a butterfly in the cocoon and it was coming out of the cocoon. The, the, the wings were forming and were was out, 
but the other half of the caterpillar was still in and not totally out. So the man went over with his fingers and touched the cocoon, thinking it would break the cocoon open and allow the rest of the butterfly to come on out. But what he did is he interrupted the process that the cocoon was doing. And what happened is the thing came out hideous, half caterpillar and half butterfly. And the revelation in that story is when you get your hands in stuff, when God is in uh, the, the, the mode of transforming you, and he's got you in cocoon mode and in uncomfortable things. Many times he's working things out because he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a design. He's working on you. And you're going to emerge into the beautiful butterfly if you allow the process to work, if you trust the process. But oftentimes we get our hands in there and we mess stuff up royally. So let's give you the, the scriptural context that goes with this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's the way the New International Version says it. The King James actually makes it more clear. Normally, the NIV clears it up, but the King James makes it more clear. The King James says, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. In other words, many times as humans, we think we know the best way. But sometimes that is the exact way that leads us to death or something dying. So we have to choose. We want God's ways over our ways. All right, let's go to point two. When you make your own choices, then you are responsible for the consequences and not God. Here's the major issue. When you take matters into your own hand, then the consequences, you pay for those. It's not that God with his grace won't step in, but even as a natural parent, we understand if we always step in, our children won't learn the lesson. So there's some stuff. You brought this on your own. Okay, you, you, you got to deal with this. You made the decision. We told you don't do this. You did it. Now, this is what is going to have to happen. Well, I, I, I got in trouble, and now they're, they're saying they're going to kick me off the basketball team. Will you come and talk to my coach for me? No. No, uh-uh. You knew the rules when you signed up. I told you the rules as well. The coach told you the rules. You violated the rules. If I go and try to change the system for you, you're not going to learn your lesson. So as much as I want to see you play, you're going to have to sit this one out and you have to learn your lesson. And if we do that as natural parents, think about what God has to do as a spiritual parent. So let, let's put it back up again. When you make your own choices, then you are responsible for the consequences and not God. Sometimes God will still pick up the consequences for you because of his love. But there's other times you've got to learn your lesson. So the best thing to do is not make your own choices. Follow God's plan and God's design. Three, when you follow your own plan, you delay the blessings of God on your life. So another thing you have to know, you can slow down what God is doing. Many times we think we are waiting on God 
But the truth of the matter is God is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to get out of his way so he can do what he's scheduled to do when he created you. He already had the plan. He already had the blessing in line. There's blessing behind closed doors. You come up to a closed door, you get frustrated, and then you run off doing your own thing. And God was saying, shoot, if you would have took another step, the closed door was going to open. There was a blessing behind the closed door. So now I got to wait for you to get back to where you were supposed to be so you can get the blessing that I had lined up for you. Now, can God grab you and throw you back? Yes, but sometimes we got to learn the lesson. And sometimes the lesson is, okay, God, I'm tired of delayed blessings. Delays are not denials. Just because your blessing is delayed doesn't mean it's denied. But once you get older in life, you get tired of delayed blessings. And you say, God, I'm not moving until you tell me to move. And then a lot of times you realize life is a lot easier when you do that way. You, you, you ever notice that when you go to the grocery store or to the mall or places like that, there are certain doors that are motion activated. You have to get in a certain amount of proximity. And once you hit that proximity, the door would automatically open. But what if you didn't know that? And as you are in the parking lot, you see the doors closed and you say, oh, man, the store is closed. And you turn and walk away. Everything that was on the other side of those doors were, was available to you. But you misunderstood. And because you misunderstood, you didn't take the necessary step. Things didn't open for you. Now you are delayed. Having that understanding, sometimes we don't keep that in our mind because we're just trying to live. We're just trying to live and go life, go through life and do things. But the more you start messing stuff up, the more you start being more calculated. God, I want, I want this to go right. Many of us are like, listen, 2022 has to go right. So, God, I'm taking my time with this because I want it your way. I give you a, an example that, that happened to me where I could have talked myself out of something and God helped me and showed me something, a revelation out of something very simple. So me and my uh, boys, we were in Chicago and we were talking about Starbucks. And so I was like, I'll just grab my phone and see where the nearest Starbucks is. And we'll, we'll just make a run there before we go do what else we were going to do. And yeah, my, my, my kids are bougie. They want Starbucks. I don't know how I created such bougie kids. But so I was like, okay, we're going we to look up Starbucks. And then I looked at my phone and it said the nearest Starbucks was two and a half hours away. And I was like, shoot, we ain't getting no Starbucks. But then it dawned on me. I was like, wait a second, I'm in Chicago. There's no way that the nearest Starbucks is two and a half hours away from me. Now, now if I'm in some podunk town, maybe, but I'm in a major metropolitan area. So something is not right. So I took another look. My phone had somehow accidentally switched to walking distance instead of driving distance. And it would have taken me two and a half hours to walk it. But when I switched it to driving distance, it was within 15 minutes. Right then, God gave me a revelation. He said, sometimes my people 
they see things and they seem so far away and they just give up. But they miscalculate it. They think they have to do it in their own energy. But I have a vehicle that would have gotten them from point A to point B much quicker. But because it seems so far away, they just gave up. Now, in a split second, I was like, well, shoot, we're not getting no Starbucks. But then I, I had to just rethink. And wait a second, let me rethink this. It, does, it doesn't make sense. And the point that I'm trying to bring up to us is that when we're on life's journey, sometimes things happen to us and it seems like we will never get the blessing. It will never happen. And what the devil wants us to do is to quit, throw in the towel. But what I'm asking you to do is to rethink it. Just think this thing through. And when you think this thing through, many times you realize God did not bring me here to leave me. He didn't bring me this far to abandon me. So even though I don't know what's going on, there has to be an explanation behind this. Even if God hasn't given me the explanation, there's got to be an explanation. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to make any rash decisions. I'm going to wait and figure out what the plan is. In the example, I figured out that my phone was on the wrong setting. Maybe your faith is on the wrong setting and it's not going to be as far as you think it is. Your relationship is not going to take as long as you think it is. The business is not going to take as long to turn a profit. So go ahead and trust God and believe that his purpose is going to trump the pain. It's going to trump the problem. It's going to trump the past and you're going to be okay. And just trust God. Do not, I repeat, do not take matters in your own hand. Do not choose your own path. Do not make your own choice because you will mess up a lot of stuff. Trust God. God's got your back. All right. Now, after this, I'm not going to go through her, her whole uh, sermon because she, she has such good stuff in there. But she she went into a passage of scriptures that was very good. So I'm just going to read them, not try to give a whole lot of uh, breaking down to them because I I'll, there's no way I'll be able to get through it. But she began to tell us a story about uh, Sarah, Abraham and Hagar. At the time, it was it was uh, Abram and Sarai. But let's look at it in Genesis 16. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Sarah was barren, didn't have a child, didn't look like she was going to have a child. She took matters into her own hands. All right, so let's look at verse three. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. This was a common practice, but it wasn't what God wanted. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. What happened is one thing that we can't plan for, we can't plan for humanity. So, Sarah said, yeah, let's just let's just take the shortcut. Let's do it this way. But what happened is whenever Hagar 
came into the tent and was with Abram, something happened. There was a connection deeper than what was thought, and some stuff started popping off, started jumping off. The thing that you can never plan for is what humans will do. I don't know how to respond. My, uh, my watch Siri keeps trying to help me preach. But we can, never, uh, we, we can never figure out what another human is going to do. So that's why we have to trust God and don't take matters in our own hands. Because when we take matters in our own hands, invariably, we have to use other humans to do it. We have to deal with other humans. And that is the X factor that many times it messes things up. So Hagar started having some feelings, some connections, and start feeling like, okay, Sarah, you're not the top dog. I, we, we are both are his wife because the scripture says, Sarah said, go ahead and marry her too. So she was like, listen, I ain't the side chick. I'm a wife too. So even though you may be the first wife, then there became this battle that ensued. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. It was funny. It was her idea, but she got mad at her husband. And I ain't going to say nothing else about that. No comment. Let's go to the scripture. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Abram did the husband thing. Listen, hey, this ain't on me. You do what you want to do. I'm out of it. My name is Bennett, and I ain't in it. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Uh, she answered, verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Elect Lady Mitchell, she talked about this. She took some time to talk about going back, how many times it's helpful that we go back. Now, this is really powerful, and it shows the grace and the mercy of God. It was Sar Sarai's fault, but God got Hagar and said, listen, I know you got caught in this situation, and yes, you probably shouldn't have despised your mistress, but you kind of got caught in this thing. But I'm going to have you go back because I'm going to do some repairing. So even though Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar had messed things up, God in his mercy was starting to fix some things. But let's look at verse uh, 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So here's the, the greater revelation. God says, listen, I love you, Hagar, and I love the child that is in your womb. So I'm going to do some things. I'm going to need you to go back, but I'm going to fix some things. I'm going to repair some things. But there's some stuff that I can't fix. He's going to be a wild child because he was not the child of promise. He came from a jacked up plan. And he's going to come out. He's going to live, and out of him a great nation is going to be. 
but there's always going to be animosity between him and his brothers. He's not going to be able to get along. And here's something that we need to understand. Many times we put our children in bad positions when we do and put ourselves in the path of being God and making our own choices. And then people have to live for generations with choices that we made. And it's harder for them to make the right choice because we handicap them and give them generational curses because we're not doing things the right way. So God says, I'm going to fix it, but all of this can't be fixed. And that's the, the greater, greater, larger thing that elect lady was trying to communicate to us. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Another point to bring up is that even in our mistakes, God still sees us. He will reroute us. He'll fix it. He'll do the best he can to repair everything he can because he sees us. And what he sees is what I told you earlier. He sees at the end of the day, we're just human. And we came to this earth. And by the time we got here, we're, we are all different from Adam and Eve. When we got here, sin was already here world was already fallen. So God many times grades us on a curve and helps us because he understands that we were thrown into things. But even though we were thrown into things, we still have to learn how to make better choices by following his plan and his design. All right, let's see if we can get into this really quick. What happens when we follow the plan God has designed for us? What happens when we do the flip side here? Number one, we are in closest closer relationship with the Lord. It automatically produces closer relationship with the Lord because we have to keep going back to the manufacturer to figure out what the plan is because the plan, it unfolds over time. The plan is not uh, laid out all the way for us or if it is laid out all the way for us, we can't always understand it or decipher it. A good example of that is blueprints. Blueprints for a building, it lays out the whole plan of the building, but it's in blueprint form. So even though you see it, you can't really comprehend it. You don't really understand it. It isn't until drywall starts going up and you start seeing, oh, that's where the electrical place is going to be. Oh, that's where the kitchen is going to be. And then even when that stuff starts coming together, it still isn't all the way done. All right, the cabinets need to be hung. Stuff needs to be painted. It takes a long time for what is planned to be fully manifested and you can enjoy it. So if you are a person who is building a house, you would consistently go back to the contractor and be updated every step of the way to keep you, to let you know we are on path, we are on plan. Everything's working the way it should be. And that's what happens when we start following God's plan. It makes us much closer. Now, when we built this building, I wasn't the pastor at the time, but I was given the task of my father by being the project manager. So I learned a whole lot more about buildings and buildings than I ever knew. It made me closer to the contractor, closer to the banker, closer to a lot of things because 
I had to learn it based on the way the plan was being laid out. When you follow God's plan, you automatically get closer to God because you have to keep coming back to him to figure out the next phase, the next step, how things are going to unfold. And when there's a monkey wrench thrown in the plan, God is the one that tells us how to navigate, how to get around it. So it automatically brings us closer to God. Number two, he has the preeminence in our lives when we allow his word to become life to us. All right. So he ends up being the end all be all. And his word makes the most sense because at the end of the day, it's his plan that you're following. So if you go back to him with questions and he tells you something that you necessarily don't want to hear, it's okay because his word trumps everything. He has preeminence because at the end of the day, he knows the plan. You don't know the plan. He knows the big picture. You don't know the big picture. So since you're trusting him and you've got close to him, you grow to the place where his word is final. You won't always like his word, but you will say, God, your word is final. I'm not going to buck against it because at the end of the day, I'm following your plan, not my plan. You know where I'm supposed to end up. You've got it mapped out. So I trust you. I trust your word. Your word becomes preeminent in my life and our relationship is closer. And here's the final one. We receive the blessings of his favor on our lives. This is the final result of it is we begin to receive his favor and his blessings. So what happens is over time you begin to see, oh, shoot, this is the best. His plan is best because I wouldn't have got this if I wasn't on this path. I wouldn't have had this if I wasn't on this path. I wouldn't have enjoyed this if I wasn't on this path. So you begin to understand that his favor is for you. And then you begin to learn that his plan is best for you. Now, there's one final thing that she went into that I won't discuss it. She, she told us a story and the story was the power of God's forgiveness and I think the beauty of that is when you're on God's path and you have to live life and you're human and you make mistakes along the way, one of the greatest things of favor, I'll bring this up, we receive blessings of his favor on our lives. One of the greatest blessings of God's favor is his forgiveness because it is his forgiveness that keeps rerouting us and putting us back on the path that we need to be on. So his favorite, it doesn't always show up as houses, cars, and money. Sometimes it's spiritual things. And one of the greatest things that he gives us is forgiveness. The story that she uses, the story of the woman with the alabaster box who uh, had great sins, but she ended up worshiping God and breaking her box and washing his feet with her tears. And the, the, the scripture goes on to say in the end, those who have been forgiven much, they love much. See, when you have had the favor of God's forgiveness, it makes you more uh, susceptible to say, you know what? I want to get other people on this path that I'm on, too, because I'm learning that no matter what life throws at me, even when I fail and fall, God's forgiveness picks me up and places me on the right path. And so instead of judging people who have fallen, I want them to have the favor that I have, the favor of God's forgiveness and his love that picks me back up. Just like Jeremiah 29, 11 says that even though you are have messed up, I still have a plan for you. 
And we want people to experience that. The disciples were mad saying this lady shouldn't have broke this expensive stuff on her feet. And God was saying, you don't understand this lady's life. She is so grateful for my presence in her life because she realizes without me, I would have never been on the plan. This woman finally got to the plan that God had designed for her. And she was so gracious and she worshiped God so much. It was so moved to tears that she did everything. And, and if you if you heard her uh, elect lady talk about it, you understand exactly what I'm saying. So we want to be those type of people where we worship God and we're so humble because at the end of the day, if we are on God's plan for our life, it really wasn't us that made the greatest decision. It was God that made the decision to forgive us mercifully to always allow us to stay on the path. Last thing I'll say, and then, then I'll close because we're, we're, we're going over time, but uh, I took my daughter to a birthday party not too long ago, and it was a birthday party where people were bowling. And when you're young, they have these things that will, where their gutters, they'll bring up these bars on the gutters so that no matter how bad you bowl, you cannot get a gutter ball. They also have this thing that kids can put on where they don't have to roll it itself. They can roll the thing down and it will actually put the right uh, path spin and give the child a better chance of winning. When we are on God's path and we have the favor of him, it's like him putting bumpers on the gutters. We can't roll a gutter ball if we try. It's like him putting that thing that helps us push the ball down. He has built in for us to win at the end of the day, if you die right now, if your heart stops beating right now, you automatically go to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God has built this thing in with there's no way we can lose. All we have to do is choose to stay on the path. All we have to do is remind ourselves, I am here by God's design. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for having a plan for us. We thank you for having a design. We thank you that when we were created, you had a path and a plan and a purpose for us. It may have taken us a while to find the purpose, but God, we are here and we are grateful and we are reminded it is your favor and your forgiveness that keeps us on this path and that will cause us to have the blessings that we need in this life. So we refuse to take matters into our own hands. We refuse to do it our way. We will do it your way because your way is best. And as the TV show said, Father knows best. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you so much. We appreciate you. We will see you next week. Thanks for watching. And thanks for being a part of this ministry. Much love to you all. Stay on God's plan and stay on God's purpose for your life.